This is Joel Duick with the Howell Creek Radio Address for, we'll call it Tuesday, October 14th, 2008. I got to see the peak fall colors in Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and now we get to see them here in Minneapolis. We have a really great little forest park here, five minutes drive from our house, nestled in amongst the suburban grid. And I'm sure this park has been the spiritually um, aesthetic salvation of many hundreds of local people. The forest part of it is really great. You can go straight through the forest on a wide path under an arch of trees that follows a creek on the east. Or you can take a branching network of ever-narrowing trails off to the west. And five minutes walking there will take you through hallways of trees. Down in the depths of the forest by dark, stagnant pools of water up through a carpeted brush floor, under a high leafy canopy of elm and asp. Asp? Then up a wide trail stairway cut into the side of a heavily wooded hill where you emerge onto a clear hilltop with a view of trees, houses, rolling grassy fields, geese and cranes swooping about over the lake and the freeway and distant downtown skyline beyond. I went there on Saturday and spent most of my time there in the woods in uh, in thought and prayer. There really is a kind of terrible finality in the beauty of autumn. When people embrace, it is a lovely thing to see. But when you see two people embrace who you know will never see each other again, it is another kind of beauty, up three octaves and as much intention. Terror adds to beauty, beauty adds to terror. When you see showers of golden and yellow orange leaves fluttering down from the high canopy of the forest, in the shafts of sunlight coming through the trees. It's nothing else but tragically glorious. A wild splash of glory that can only exist because it is final. The end of autumn, the end of these leaves that have been waving at us all their short summer lives and are now dying off by the thousands. Thank God for the seasons. It will all come round again. Good people pray heed a petition. Your attention we beg and we crave, and if you are inclined for to listen, an abundance of pastime we'll have. We are come to relate many stories concerning our forefathers' times, and we trust they will drive out your worries. To celebrate Friday's continued obliteration of the stock market, we ordered in pizza at work. For some random, unknowable reason, uh, the conversation started out by recounting the surreal story of a boy in Rochester who murdered his whole family because his dad wouldn't allow him to buy a heavy metal cartridge of some kind. This kind of thing sounds so horrifying as to hardly be real. Of course, I googled it to try and verify its uh, veracity for this podcast, and I wasn't able to find it, so maybe, hopefully, this one isn't real. But we've all heard variations on that theme, and people under 20 probably can't remember a time before they were almost common. At any rate, uh, one of the co-workers, I can't remember which, mentioned this old thing about these child murderers usually showing early signs of their violent tendencies by killing small animals as children. This brought immediate and instant clarification from a number of the others. No, no, it wasn't killing small creatures. We've all of us done that at one time or another. 
One lady remembered hunting down and killing gophers for a nickel apiece for her grandpa and having a blast doing it too. Another fondly remembered picking off blackbirds in the backyard with a pellet gun. Numerous others as well, everyone present, whatever their politics or persuasion, seemed to agree, uh, except of course Oli, our resident Dane, who, although present, was reading his paper and not participating in the conversation. We've nothing in common here except being engineers, and I'm not even that. So it isn't killing the animals, it's torturing them, right? No, no, says Gopher Lady. We hung them from trees and everything. It was great. Yes, we might all have turned out to be murderers by the violence to small animal standards, so that can't be right. Even though it sounds as though it had some ring of truth to it on first hearing. I can't say I ever did much hunting to speak of. But this talk reminded me of our old neighbor, Mr. Anderberg, who used to stand out on his lawn without a shirt on, and old neighbor, both because he was a previous neighbor and in the sense of his age. He would lean on his dandelion picker, I assumed at first just watching the traffic go by. Actually, he was hunting moles. If ever he saw a bit of earth move, he would spear it with his dandelion picker and out pull out a freshly impaled mole. He would even proudly, matter-of-factly display it to us neighbor kids, or relate the fact of its destruction to us later if we hadn't happened to be around in time to see it. Uh, we stayed off his lawn for the most part. Well, that brought it on. Everyone at work had stories of run-ins with pests. Freed from the too weighty topic of murder and unnaturally violent children as if a tether had been cut, everyone started in with their stories. Run, little rabbit, run, 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 little rabbit, run. Run, little rabbit, run, run, young come man, big shotgun, run, rabbit, run. Run, having a pea patch, picking out peas, get away, rabbit, get away, please. Run, little rabbit, run, 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 little rabbit, run. Run, little rabbit, run, run, young come man, big shotgun, run, little rabbit, run. Our resident Canadian as a mother who had been an excellent shot and generally had a knack for dealing effectively with vermin. Once a squirrel got into the basement, he told us, had scratched up all the windows and was tearing the place up, and here he was opening windows, laying food trails, trying to coax and guide the desperate little devil back out to doors again. Well, his mom comes downstairs. What are you doing? Trying to catch a squirrel, he replied. That's not how you catch a squirrel. She comes down the stairs, and there was a plunger sitting at the bottom on the landing, and she grabbed right for it and started right away banging on the walls in the ductwork. Instantly, the squirrel dashes out into the open right in front of her. She swiftly brings down the plunger on top of it, whomp, leaving it trapped under this rubber suction cup part with only its furry tail sticking out, and right away gave the poor thing a vigorous plunging. The tail vibrated wildly for a few seconds and then became comically motionless. It had been only ten seconds since his mother's foot had hit the basement floor and the squirrel was dead and out the window. That's how you catch a squirrel. My beautiful aunt Rhyme, who was from the Philippines, once told me how excited she had been to see squirrels when she first came to Minnesota. I never even thought about it before. I expect people who live in the Philippines to be so used to actually exotic animals creeping and flying everywhere. It never occurred to me that someone could come here and be excited to see anything as common as a squirrel. I suppose it makes some kind of sense. They lose their charm, though. They chew holes to get into your garbage cans, and at your garbage they dig up flower beds for no apparent reason. They grow fat on the feed you put out for the birds. Mr. K at work, this work lunch, he remembered a friend who had wired a coil up to the bird feeder and could trigger it remotely with a button, sending any squirrels flinging and zinging through the air. 
And you know, he said, whichever way they're pointing when you push the button, that's the way they're going to fly. Phil had seen a similar device, one less lethal but no less interesting. A ring had been installed on the pole of this bird feeder, which the squirrels had to grab onto to climb around on their way up to the heavenly store above. When they grabbed onto it and put their weight onto the ring, it would lower a little and close a switch which started a motor spinning the ring and the attendant squirrel at high speed. The squirrel would usually be able to hang on for a little while before having to let go and flying away. Boy, and we didn't even get into mouse stories or bear stories or the one about what Mark did with the rabbits in the backyard and a laser pointer. Actually, there's not much to that one. Basically, he found that you can make a rabbit jump three feet straight upwards and spin in a little circle just by pointing a laser right in its eye at night, even at a distance of 30 feet or so, and it won't run away for some reason either. So you can keep on doing it as long as you like until you get bored of it. Ship, I have no 